Hello there, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards, pureandsimplebible.com. Very grateful for another Bible conversation, this time with Brother Cole Branch from Oakdale, California. And we're talking about contentment and covetousness under the word of gaslighting. So it may seem like this is a study on this new concept of gaslighting. Sorry to disappoint. It's actually about covetousness and the positive doctrine of being content. So I want you to know that up front. And uh, it's a really good study. I really think you're going to find a lot of good benefit from this conversation. So I invite you to join us as we begin part one. Let's jump right into it, shall we? Do you mind taking a moment and telling us who you are, who you're married to? Uh, I think you've got two kids now, right? Yes, sir. Tell Mm -hmm. us about that. Okay. Uh, So my name's Cole. Cole Branch is my name. Uh, I'm married to Hannah Branch. Her maiden name was Hughes. Hannah is from Alabama. Uh, She's the daughter of Jeff and Georgiana Hughes. Um, We live in California now. We lived in Alabama for a couple of years. Now we live in California where we've had our two daughters. Our first daughter is Georgia Ann Branch. She is just over two now. And our second daughter is Kate Tyler. And she is right around six months, just over six months old. Oh, so there's, there's, uh, there's not a lot of sleep happening in your house right now. <clears throat> you, you know, I, w- I would like to complain about it, but our daughters are really good sleepers. Uh, so for all the other parents out there that don't have good sleeping children, uh, yeah, I, I have no place to complain. Our Rub it in. I Rub know, it in. I know. So I, I won't I won't go into too much detail about how we our daughters are both ten to twelve hours a night and Hannah and I really <laughs> get our our time together in the evenings yeah. and a full right. night's sleep. I wouldn't want to rub that into anybody that doesn't experience that. So I won't talk about that. Well, I'll just say this. The Lord the Lord wants you to have a lot more children. So he gives you these ones for <laughs> that you don't uh you know, start yeah. to say, I don't know how many more we could have. Yeah. Um, we we you know, I won't name the name of which child it was, but you know, with three kids there's it's pretty easy to deduce. But uh we had we had really easy going and then we had one that we were like, Oh my, I don't know if, if uh if more children in our future with this one. So you know, yeah. God is just waiting so that the the branch name can expand farther and then then you'll get the one that doesn't stay up or doesn't yep. sleep. So yep. by the way, um you already know this because I talked to you about it before, before we were recording. But for those who are listening, I've had a terrible cough for about two weeks, and I'll do my best to not cough straight into the microphone. But you know, as people are listening to this, my voice might sound a little different. Um, so there you go. So you live in? Uh, do you live in Oakdale? I know you worship in Oakdale. Mm-hmm. Where do you live? Yeah, so we live in Oakdale. Uh, we're like three quarters of a mile from the the building where we worship uh in town nice little little small house in the center of town and that's where we live in oakdale Mm -hmm. where what do you do for work so my brothers and i and recently my father are partners in a we own a construction company so we're self-employed and uh general contracting is what we do 
living the dream. That's right. That's right. Okay. Wake up every day and live the dream. That's right. Sir. Bang some nails. Carpenters by trade. There you go. There you go. Well, the, I actually have a carpenter and his uh, workers working on my property at present, um, building a couple extra rooms mm-hmm. because um, if I was the one building it, it might get done, but it wouldn't be square and it would mm-hmm. take, it'd be until 2025 probably for mm-hmm. me to get it done. Yeah. And they were able to throw up the walls in, you know, a day. Yep. So, uh, yep. good man. People you who are masters of trade. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Well, uh, you are here to talk with me um, about a, a Bible study that you've called Gaslighting Battle for Desire. And uh, mm-hmm. it comes from John chapter 8, 44. Uh, tell me about whenever you were putting this study together, what motivated you to to study the Bible this way, to compile the scriptures this way? What was going on whenever it was time to sit at your desk and write it? I think probably a lot what was going on is you asked what I do for a living, uh, being self-employed. There's a lot of decisions to make on a daily basis on what it is we want, what it is we're striving for, um, and what it is we want from life. Uh, So you tie that in with a lot of young guys at our congregation that are also uh, newly married. What What are we working on? What are kind of our goals or aspirations? Um... And that's kind of the, the crux of the study is w- what do we want from life? What is our contentment based on? And, and what what right. is it at the core that we want? What's our desire um, right. in this world? Well, yeah, when I looked over the notes ahead of time, uh, it does seem not to spoil it too much, but contentment is at the heart of the study, even though the title, you know, you might not think that whenever you... Um, hear the title gaslighting um battle for desire but contentment definitely is at the heart of it so hopefully our listeners you know let's have that mindset we're not necessarily um in this to have an entire conversation about gaslighting it seems to be we're we're focusing on the, the christian discipline of contentment is that right yes that that's very much where we end up and the goal of I've already told you, Jonathan, where I want to get some of your perspective on this and in some of your experiences, um, that it starts out, I was not familiar with the term gaslighting. Um, I'm not really in the loop on a lot of, uh, just kind of trendy things. So when I heard the word gaslighting and I was kind of going through this study about, um, how there is a battle for our desires and and a lot of sales pitches that we're a part of gaslighting to me just fit perfectly with what I think is so easy to happen to us in our culture um, and in, in, in what we're surrounded by. So that's kind of the backdrop on the, the title a little bit. Well, we'll, we'll get to the definition gaslighting in just a moment because while I might be, maybe more aware of, of some of those terms. I will tell you, I chuckle about the term gaslighting because it's one that's been so abstract to me for so long. And I'll have young people be like, well, well, she just gaslit me and this or that. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, what in the world? Like that make, doesn't make sense. But before we get there, I know that John 844 uh, is the scripture that you use to kind of kick it off. Mm-hmm. I'd like to ask um, uh, what that scripture 
I guess, means to this study and uh, what's going on with the devil there. Yeah, sure. So John chapter 8 and verse 44, it says, and I'm actually going to read two verses in connection. I'm going to start in John 8, 44 and then move to Mark 4 and 19. Okay. So John 8, 44 says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So the, the core truth that we want to establish as we begin to talk about gaslighting from John 8 and 44 is that when it comes to lies, when it comes to something that is not true, the originator of it and the one behind it at the end of the day is the devil. Right. Which ties into Mark chapter 4 and 19 now, where it says the cares of this world, Jesus in talking about uh, the different types of ground, begins to define the thorny ground and says the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes yeah. unfruitful. Uh-huh. You know, both in both of the scriptures, I'm seeing uh, maybe the pattern there, the desires of your father, the devil, and then in Mark 4, the desires for other things. So, uh, yeah, desire is at the heart of a lot of uh, this idea of spiritual gaslighting. Is that kind of where you were going with that? Oh, very much so, 100%. Okay. Yes, sir. And the, the deceitfulness of riches, there's some deceit going on about some of these things, and especially in Mark chapter 4, what is it that is choking out the word within us? Mm. These desires for other things. What is it that's mm. tricking us? Can we identify those things? And we, can we be honest about those things um, in the course of our lives? That's a tough verse, man. I'll tell you, Mark four nineteen. Those uh, the the first one, the cares of this world. That balance of I, you know, I have bills to pay, <laughs> versus the 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 other side of it being living a, a Christ-centered life where you're not concerned about, you know, the things of this world. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but I'm just throwing out maybe what's in my heart at the moment is what, what a difficult balance that is. Um, you then give us the definition of gaslighting. I didn't know that it was the 2022 Webster's <laughs> word of the year. That kind of makes me chuckle that, uh, here, you and I both, seems like we didn't know what it was, but apparently it was popular enough that it wins a pretty prestigious award. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So these things will happen to me sometimes at Oakdale. I try to steal and I find it just by Googling, right? You just Google like popular words to steal whatever the lingo is from the youth, just steal it from them <laughs> and ruin the word and apply a spiritual application so that every time it comes up, they're forced to remember that ridiculous right. analogy. Do uh, they groan or, or whenever you get up there and you say, hey, guys, Jesus is lit. Are they like, oh, that's <laughs> that's too much. Yeah, so I, 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 I've been lucky enough to find that that balance so far. They may have a different opinion of sure of like. It, 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 it connects enough, but I don't try to be cool because I don't care if they think I'm cool, so I don't really go that to get the groans they usually just laugh at me um yeah yeah i used uh what was the lesson uh bussin <laughs> i guess bussin is a word and so so we had some back to school themes and, and 
Boston. I wanted to ruin Boston because it, it means like amazing or awesome or something. And so right, that every right. time you hear Boston, I want you to think of it was a psalm about how God is awesome and God mm. is the great king. Um, mm. And they, mm. th- they laughed at me, but they all remembered it too. So right. at the end of the day, don't really care for laughs, don't really care if I'm cool. But if you will remember to think about spiritual things in the midst of your day, um, that's the goal. Anyways, that was a long way to say uh, that gaslighting, yeah, I had no idea what it was, but it was the 2022 Webster's Word of the Year, and it's actually in the def- in the dictionary uh, now. Wow. Marion's okay, so dictionary. It's, it's a legitimate term. It's not just a pop culture term now. It's a legitimate no. term. What does it mean? Yeah. So the first definition is to psychologically manipulate a person, usually over an extended period of time, so that the victim questions the validity of their own thoughts, perception of reality, or memories and experiences confusion, loss of confidence and self-esteem, and doubts concerning their own emotional or mental stability. So that's the first primary definition, and if I had to summarize all those words, it's taking somebody over a long period of time and getting them to question what they think about reality. Yeah. Let me give some examples uh, for our listeners who may, they may have just heard the definition and they're like, what that, you know, that doesn't, that still might not make complete sense. And I don't do that to condescend anybody's intellect. It's just, it took me a while to take this idea of psychological manipulation over time to, to, so that a victim questions their own reality. But think about it this way. If, if, uh, let's say it's a husband, wife, right? Two partners, and they're just constantly fighting. And one is saying things to the other, like, I never said that. I never said that. Knowing full well that they did, that would be an example of gaslighting. Because it, you are intentionally manipulating somebody knowing that you're deceiving them. Now, there's times in arguments where a couple might, you know, you said this and the other person goes, I didn't say that. They might be legitimately saying, I, I don't remember saying that. The big difference is with, with your intention to uh, either have power control or manipulation over. Um, some other phrases might be, if you love me, you would fill in the blank, right? Like, so now you're uh, tying the love of that, that, that care in the relationship to something that you want your partner to do. And, uh, or, or maybe you would justify poor behavior like, I did that because I love you. Mm-hmm. Whereas they're feeling hurt or pain or confusion. And and you, instead of acknowledging that hurt, pain or confusion would say, well, I just did those things because I love you. So now mm-hmm. they're questioning their own reality going, well, I'm hurt, but, but my spouse said they love me. That's why they mm-hmm. did it. So why should I be anyway? Yeah. Uh, and hopefully those are some helpful examples. Right. And what you're seeing ties directly into the secondary definition uh, that that Merriam-Webster has adopted, and that's the intent behind it. The secondary definition is to grossly mislead or deceive someone, especially for one's own advantage. So to go back to that husband and wife analogy, when one is knowingly telling the other something that is untrue. And it's all because they're trying to get something out of it. Maybe yeah. they're lying about something that's going on um, and they don't want the consequences of it or yeah, they're seeking to get, gain some advantage 
by misleading this person is key to okay so if i know that gaslighting is to psychologically manipulate over an extended period of time so that the person that i'm doing it to questions the validity of their own thoughts and reality if gaslighting is to grossly mislead or deceive so that i get advantage what would you like what's the purpose of that in this study like what what are you hoping to based on john 8:44 and and mark uh 4:19 and these definitions like give our listeners kind of the 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 premise or the big mm-hmm. picture of what we want to accomplish sure so if i summarized it in one sentence i would say the study premise of this is that there exists a very strong attempt to grossly mislead our desires especially for other people's advantage. And we need to undermine that every chance we get. Hmm. Um, There's a very strong attempt by whom who's, what is this? Who is doing this very strong attempt? So at the core of it, that's why we started out in John eight and 44. I think this is a spiritual battle. I think that there's a spiritual battle that we're all engaged in at the core of it, but we could go uh, to some of, the ways that it begins to manifest itself, if you will, and how it, how it affects us practically on a day-to-day basis. Okay. So looking backwards at the devil as kind of the puppet master, but also looking around mm -hmm. at uh, maybe industries, companies, et cetera, life that are going to be the tools of that. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. And I would begin to introduce that idea by asking you uh, if you have any sort of device that you use on a regular basis that you can just kind of scroll it's oh, like boy. <laughs> <laughs> that you have those moments right and and just full disclosure mine is my iphone youtube youtube sure sure it's it's yeah. like i'll i'll have those moments that i don't really know what i want but i know that i kind of want something and i'll just open up my phone and go to it and, and start scrolling until I find, you know, hey, there was something I wanted. And there it is. Right. You got I call that the I call that the doom scroll. I've heard other people use that phrase. <laughs> the the doom scroll where you don't really know what you want. You're just kind of scrolling uh because you're tickling your your uh-huh. brain, that part yep. of your brain that releases dopamine. Um yep. but the doom scroll. Now I'm I'm a little intrigued because where we're at in your PowerPoint, it says, give a lion $7.1 trillion and uh, help me understand that, yep. that idea. Okay. So we've all heard uh, the saying, give a moose a muffin and he'll ask for another one, right? Right. So if you give a lion $7.1 trillion, what happens? Let me read you an excerpt from a, a marketing study. It says billions of dollars, $325.5 billion, to be exact, are spent on advertising in the United States each year. From billboards to internet ads, these expenditures are intended to stimulate demand, inform customers, and differentiate products and services in the marketplace. So we'll take a a time out here real fast in the definition. Sure. Tons of money, billions of dollars is spent on advertising to tell us about products, right? And we know that that's what advertising does. We know that advertising tells us that that this widget is different from that widget and, and this is our product. And we're kind of aware that a lot of money is spent on it. 
The second part of this study, though, to me is what fascinated me. Okay. It says the, the resulting heightened awareness among buyers does more than merely shift market share among competing firms. It stimulates purchases and generates additional economic activity that would not have occurred otherwise. Mm. Advertising spending stimulated a $7.1 trillion of additional sales activity in 2020. So the $7.1 trillion, if you give that to the lion, which we could call the devil a lion, sure, is that that money is going to places to create within us desires for more. It's not it's, enough. It's, it's not enough. Okay. You don't have enough. You didn't know you wanted this, but now you do know you wanted it. It right. didn't originate from within you. It didn't originate from your core beliefs, but we created it within you. Right. That's pretty scary that the advertising spending, it, like this 7.1 trillion, poof, it comes out of thin air. Like it wouldn't have existed, but 7.1 trillion, I can't even, you know, that the amount of dollar bills that, that that would be, I wonder how much square footage it would take up to even have, you know, that amount of money. Um, but it seems a little impersonal and maybe, maybe my thought would be, yeah, but that's for those people, you know, mm -hmm. right. They struggle with it. Not me. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the $7.1 trillion struggle that those people have. Uh, and the reason I'm asking that is because I'm looking at a, some sort of goal list that you, you, you created from 2020. And uh, I don't know if, if, the thought that you having is similar to that, but it's, it's almost looks like what you're going to try to do is self-disclose to show us that maybe you underestimated the lion. Um, is that yeah, fair? Exactly. Is that what's going to happen? Exactly. So okay. for the person, for the person out there that is saying to themselves that advertising doesn't work on me. I, I don't use that stuff. Billboards don't get me. I don't use social media. It, advertising does not work on me i would say welcome to the club i thought the same thing but if i'm honest with myself and i go back you're talking about this weird little spreadsheet looking thing that says goals on it and i look at my goals by quarter and by year and i have a category that i have some spiritual goals in but looking at my spreadsheet and my goal calendar my spiritual goals are a little too far out in the future. And then mm. when I look at some of these other goal categories and I say, well, Hannah and I have some goals for our house that we want to be accomplishing within the next three quarters. Yeah. And, you know, I want some children, I have some family goals. And these are all good things. Don't get me wrong. But then provision, providing for the physical necessities, financial goals. I have that health insurance. We're going to check our health insurance goals and we're going to make sure our retirement plans in order. I have like boxes and boxes of, of practical steps I want to take. But when it comes to my spiritual goals, it's like, well, I know I need to be doing something. Right. Right. But you're making that. me, you're making me think of Mark four nineteen, which we read and it says the cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entering the, in choking the word 
and it becomes unfruitful. Exactly. Uh, so you, you've kind of laid yourself out there mm-hmm. to say it does work on us, even though um, maybe we're not directly consuming those ads. Right. So, so take, take me for example, real quick. I don't have any social media. I, I don't use Facebook. I don't use Insta, uh, Snapchat, any of that stuff. I got rid of it a long time ago because I realized that I just, it, it would take too much of my time, right? But even yet, it is so powerfully ingrained in our society that it's still going to affect if we don't pay attention and constantly right. reevaluate. Right. Um, First Corinthians 10, 12, you've got that as a scripture for yeah. when, when somebody says these ads don't work on me. What does that scripture say? What's the purpose of it there? There it says, no temptation has taken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So I guess the thought would be twofold on that one. Uh, Temptations are relatively common amongst mankind. Yeah. So when we can look at other people and and see the temptations or shortcomings in others, uh, but we want to act like we're immune to some things in our own lives, it may mean that we just need to take a little bit more time to look at ourselves. Sure. And the secondary point from that scripture that we need to take away is... No matter what the problem is, no matter how deeply ingrained it is in our desires and everything that we've been striving for, there's a way out. There okay. will always be a way of escape. Well, and that's the, what, what, when I look ahead in your notes, this is kind of the meat of your study. It looks like you've got three big points here um, where, you know, we, we've spent, what, 20-ish minutes now talking about basically an introduction Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, cause if I'm listening to this study, what I might be thinking is, so what of it, you know, what am I supposed to mm-hmm. do with this concern? You've given me a big concern about, uh, how easy it is to become covetous, how, um, the devil's working behind the scenes to maybe manipulate us into not being satisfied. Um, give me a, maybe a, uh, just a 30 second overview. What, what are these three big points about? What do you want to accomplish in this study so that the listener can kind of have a roadmap of where we're going? Yeah, sure. So an, an outline for our study would look like three points. The first we would call show me a covetous man. Um, and that's going to be developing the idea of making sure we really understand the seriousness and magnitude of the discussion that we're having. Right. The second portion of the study would be contentment without apology. A theme verse for that would be Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Okay. But we're going to develop the idea of biblical contentment. And then the final passage where we begin to tie it all together and say, how, what do we take from this and how do we continue to live our lives would be from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 17. And it's the idea of never enough. And how do we apply that principle? Nice. Okay. So that gives our listeners kind of a three-step plan for where we're going in the study. Uh, So let's just jump into that first big point. Show me a covetous man. Um, It seems like we're going to take some time 
considering this big sin in the Bible, uh, how do you start it out? Yeah, so I would start by telling you a story. The story goes like this. Um, there's a confessor. A confessor is somebody that receives sins um, or receives confessions about sins. In, okay. Uh, so a confessor receives confessions from people for years and years. People, thousands of people would come to him and, and, and confess to him all kinds of sins. And they would tell him about awful things they've done. They've committed murder. They've stolen things. They've committed adultery. Um, everything that you could think of, pretty much, he, he's, he's had confessed to him. But he began to think one day, I've never had somebody confess to me the sin of covetousness. Mm. So he began to think to himself, I'm going to go to the most covetous man that I know. The man that it's, he is undoubtedly covetous and he needs to just admit it within himself. But I'm going to go to him and I'm going to tell him about this experience and I'm going to ask him why this would be. So he goes to this covetous man and he tells him what's been happening that out of all the sins he's received, nobody's ever confessed covetousness. And he says to this man, why, why would that be? Why do you think that it is that nobody's confessed covetousness? And the man responds to him and he says, well, you know, it's probably because covetousness is the rarest sin. It's probably because there's just really that few people that are covetous. Mm. And this man responds and says, my concern is not that covetousness is the rarest sin of all, but it's the most common sin of all, and we don't see it within ourselves when it's there. Uh -huh. And I think that story can highlight potentially what is easy to be true about covetousness in ourselves. It can almost be a sin that maybe you would call a gentleman's sin or yeah. an admired sin. Yeah. That we can look at somebody that that they they just want what they want from this world, maybe for good reasons. Maybe they're saying, I, I'm driven to provide for my family. Or we look at them and we say, they're just motivated. They're never complacent. That's yeah. a successful person. Um, and I think that's a real danger with this. Yeah, I, I want to, maybe I'll wait to, to ask how we balance that properly. So, um, if, if, if it's not about just being driven or motivated or successful, if there is something more insidious about it, um, it might be helpful to hear what the Bible defines it as. So what does the Bible, how does it, how can we, you know, have a common term for covetous, uh, and what does it look like? Right. So if you're like me, um, and when I think about covetousness in the Bible and to covet something, the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, to covet something just means that I want something that is somebody else's. And I think that's how I've always really thought about covetousness and why it was so sinister is because it's to want something that belongs to somebody else. But when yeah. you go to scripture, there's actually three different words huh. that are translated to covet or covetous in English. And so we really need to look at those words and say, what do those mean? The first word uh, comes from Strong's G1937, if anybody wants to look this up on their own sure. time in a concordance. But the first word means to set the heart upon, long for, or desire. 
And we'll see here in a little bit how it's used in different uh, places in the Bible, but that's not necessarily tied to something that is somebody else's. It's something that we're setting our heart upon. Okay. The secondary word is Strong's number G4124, and it's greedy to greedy desire to have more or avarice. We'll define avarice here in a sec because I didn't know what that meant even in English. But the final word that's used uh, in scripture is Strong's number 866 and also 5366. And they're translated not covetous. And it literally means not loving money and not avaricious. Ah. So avaricious now means greedy of gain or excessively acquisitive, especially in seeking to hoard riches. So those are our definitions from scripture uh, that we're dealing with. Yeah, let me ask you a question about that to, to covet. If it means to set one's heart upon to long for desire, is that always morally negative or can it be morally positive at times? I'm generally interested. Um, yeah. You know, could I, if I right. set my heart upon the Lord, would I, would I say I covet the Lord or is there such a toxic connection to that word that maybe I, I would want to try, you know, using something else. Sure. Maybe you have a quicker concordance on you than I do. That would be a very interesting word study to see if that word is used in relation to anything positive. Offhand, I'm not remembering it being tied to something positive. Um, sure. The closest thing that I'm immediately thinking of is... Um, the the English word addicted. Remember hearing this in a lesson a while back. Uh, usually addiction is a very negative thing. But when you go to, I believe it's first Corinthians chapter 16. Uh, yeah. In the King James version, there's a family that is described as having addicted themselves to the work of the Lord. I'm thinking about the word jealous. That's another one where I think most of the times we attribute that as a negative trait mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but the lord is a jealous god and mm -hmm. uh the, the the greek word zealous which is what we typically say is positive like uh zealous for good works in titus mm -hmm. chapter mm -hmm. three uh mm -hmm. it's the same word like that's the yes. same word in greek but translated into zealous instead of jealous so um it seems like context is going to be pretty important for these studies but uh probably you and I are both shooting from the hip on that question. It yeah. seems like covet, covetous, uh, contextually, I more likely than not, it's about things that are ne morally negative than more morally positive. Right. Yes. And so I'm doing just a quick search right now. I'm not finding anything in the new Testament. First of all, where cut the word covet is used in a positive sense. The principle that you're getting towards the principle of, of coveting, and this idea of it's never enough and applying that to our spiritual lives, that principle is very much taught. And that's where we want to get to by the end. Uh, so we may snip that out if it steals too much thunder for the end point. But that principle is very much true. But the exact words that we're discussing here right now, I'm not finding them as, as being. Yeah. Yeah. I even did a Google search for, I covet your prayers. Because uh -huh. I feel like I've heard that one a lot to covet okay. prayer uh -huh. and uh, a Google search 
reveals that uh, there's not really any scriptures that say that. Um, Interesting. And so we're taking the concept of to set the heart upon, to desire. But but anyway, that's just, uh, I don't think I'm going to cut it out. I think I'm going to leave it in. But just for our, our, our listeners to consider that uh, I think the word is typically used negatively, but there is a principle behind the, the positive attribute while it's not stated as covetousness to set one's heart upon the Lord certainly is a positive uh, trait, but maybe we'll, we'll use different words just to, yeah. to clarify. Yeah. It, um, it, so definitely I'm remembering and I'm looking down at one of my other slides. I did go through every use of the word of the word covet and then asterisk. So anything that is applied to covet. So covetousness coveted um, is there's 35 total references in scripture. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And somebody can check me on this with their uh, own concordance to make sure that I'm not missing anything. Why don't you take a moment and you have a little point here. This might clear it up for some folks in scriptures. Uh, there, you have a list of different things mm-hmm. that we were not to covet. And I think that will maybe help paint the picture. Uh, it includes neighbors, uh, house, wife, et cetera. What's, what's going on in that list? Yeah. So in the list, uh, Covet is easily applicable to me, to money, but that's not where biblical covetousness ends. Uh, Covetousness in scripture applies to anything that is your neighbor's and scripture directly applies it to your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, their servant, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So when we think about covetousness as wanting something that belongs to somebody else, that is 100% backed up by scripture. The only problem though, for my definition originally was that it does not end there. Covet is also applied just in general to, in scripture to land, silver, gold, the catch of evil men, to water even. That's very interesting if you're from California because water (laughs) wars are are a real thing out here. And covetousness is applied in scripture to water, treasures, evil gain, and even apparel. Um, So I know some people that I wouldn't call them covetous because like they're spending their paycheck like ASAP because they're going to get new kicks. They're going to get new clothes. um, and, And they're, I would usually have said, oh, you're not covetous. You're not worried about money. You don't care yeah. about a big bank account. Yeah. But biblical covetousness goes far beyond just money. Right, right, right. So I you would know, say... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, please. So I was just going to say, I would summarize kind of that point in seeing a great definition for us to apply from Scripture itself when it comes to covetousness is First John 2.17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. We're going to pause the study right there and come back next week. So you need to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And if you have, then be patient until next week's episode where we finish this mini-series on gaslighting, specifically about the covetousness of the world and how it gaslights us into thinking that we don't have enough and reinforcing a narrative where we're not able to be content and we're just lied to again and again about how uh, we just need more and more and more stuff and things. Really good study. 
Uh, I want you to come back next week. And until then, you can always go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, to check out all of the useful content that's free to download and use. And always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man.